It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, we've all seen the pro-Palestinian protests on America's college campuses. They've become a shocking scene, as many of us have been really unaware of the political bend of faculty and staff and and many students um, they teach. Well, part of the issue is that young people today really do not have a biblical worldview. They also don't have an understanding of long biblical history, history of Israel and the Jewish people, or the centuries of oppression and particularly Judaism's relationship with Islam. Now, one college professor is trying to help students well, actually school the students on the facts and and background of the war in Israel, but this professor has a unique understanding of the conflict now going on in Israel between the Jewish state and Hamas. He is a former devout Muslim who is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, How devoted? Well, he was to Islam. Well, he believed that um, a sure way to go to heaven was to die for the holy war against non-believers. He is Professor... um, Al Fadi, a biblical scholar and now teaching at Arizona Christian University, and he joins me now. Welcome, Al. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored uh, really to be on your show, and I know we go a long way, but uh, thank you so much. This is indeed a timely topic for sure. Yeah, we go back at least uh, at least a decade, um, and I'm I'm sorry that I didn't think of you sooner when October 7th happened because you were the perfect person to talk to. Um, but I want to give people a background because I think your story is unique and it's really impressive. Um, it's very interesting and it's very inspirational. I mean, you were born in Saudi Arabia and you came to America to study, but also yes. you wanted to come here to convert Americans to Islam. Isn't that right? That is true. I mean, I, as a Muslim, uh, I believe with all my heart that Islam is the final uh, uh, revelation from God and the final religion. And it behooved me, of course, to introduce that to anyone I meet. And of course, in the West and especially in America, the presupposition is that everybody is either the majority are Christians or possibly some people are Jews. If they call themselves atheist, the idea is they left one of these two religions technically. So this is this is how you were taught back when you were young, right? This is what. Is now, what did you know about Judaism or or Jews at at, at that point when you were young? It's a good question. Uh, my knowledge, of course, and I would speak on behalf of the majority of Muslims, at least in in my age. I mean, these days, young Muslims have a lot of sources to investigate and and learn more about Judaism and Christianity and other faith. But back then, it was based on what the Quran taught and what the history of Islam taught, and it was very limited, really. Uh, I mean, I understood uh, that the Jews are descendants from Abraham uh, and through Isaac, and they have a lot of prophets. Moses is a big deal, of course, and at the same time that they had. A fallout with the prophet of Islam, that they existed, at least certain tribes 
north of where I lived uh, around Medina, where the prophet spent the last 10 years of his life before he was he died and buried. And uh, there is the second holy mosque in there. But the, the perception you get from the Quran and from the uh, had, uh, the uh, traditions and the uh, biography of the, uh, the prophet is that the, the fallout, uh, falling out happened because they the Jews turned their back on him when he needed them most. In other words, they betrayed him. So right there, you develop kind of like a, uh, I hate to use the word hatred towards them, uh, disappointment towards them. But then the Quran actually does speak of them in, in an ill way, stating that they are deceptive uh, people, that they care about life, they care about money, they care about wealth, and all that kind of stuff. That was the source of information I had. Wow. And at the same time, the hadith, the sayings of the Prophet, indicated that the end time will not happen until the Muslims begin to fight, uh, fight the Jews. Wow. So we're seeing some ele elements of that right to, here today. When you said the Ham, did you mean the one of the th three sons of Noah, of Ham, Japheth, and um, Shem? Yeah, of course. I mean, you believe that uh, we are descendants from the three sons. And uh, I would believe, uh, I think it's Sham or Sam, that uh, the one that we descended from. But uh, uh, I, I mentioned Abraham. They are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac. And we, as Arabs, tie to Abraham through Ishmael. Right. Right, right. This is a very interesting thing. Now, what did you know about Christians when you were young? Also, Christianity um, is uh, a little bit different in the Quran. If I were to study Christianity from the Quran, I would come out with this picture of a heretical cult that changed and uh, morphed from what Jesus intended for that religion to be and the Bible to where they are today. In other words, uh, Islam taught that the Christians corrupted the message of Jesus that they corrupted the Bible, and the Jews were uh, also complicit in that process. And at the same time today, the Christians actually are idolaters by way of worshiping the cross, meaning a piece of metal or piece of wood, mm -hmm. and that they elevated a human being, who is Christ, of course, to become God or the Son of God, which is blasphemy both ways. That was my limited understanding. And of course, Jesus was never crucified, according to the Quran. This has got to be, it had to be really almost revelatory when you came to the United States and started hearing a different version of Christianity. That is true. I mean, what I've started to hear first, for, for what, what uh, um, you know, impacted me uh, the most was the attitude of uh, the born again Christians towards me, kind, loving, gentle, and even those, uh, I mean, I cannot judge everyone that I met, whether they're born again or not, they were very hospitable people, and they were very kind to me, they assisted me in any way I wanted. And I was a little bit confused by that, because I was told that, you know, we need to be cautious about them, they they have an agenda against you. But I really, I noticed that they don't know a whole lot about Islam in the first place. In other words, if they don't know a whole lot about Islam, why would they even have an agenda against Islam? I mean, you have to know something mm -hmm. about a religion or a cult or a group to have an agenda against him. And it was conversations like this. What do you believe in? Uh, where do you grow up? You know, what is your view on Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And slowly and gradually, I began to hear also about the born again and the idea that you're not born Christian. You come uh, to a conclusion at some point in your life to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, which is completely foreign to me, mm -hmm. and the Quran never once ever mentioned that. You assume, just like Muslims are born Muslims, and Jews are born Jews, Christians are born Christians also. 
So that's a big, big difference. Um, how was it that you finally, how long did it take before you were actually converted to Christianity? It took 12 years, and obviously I was a devout Muslim, so I wasn't about to, um, you know, let go of my belief or lower my guards that easy. And I was actually, at the beginning, very combative about this idea that Christ is the way. In fact, I was using it as a way to try to convince people that Islam is the way. And it's through the course of time, as I was, um, you know, raising claims against Christianity and Christ and the Bible and the crucifixion and resurrection and uh, the Trinity and God in general, as I was hearing responses to that and how they had, meaning the ones that the people I'm talking to have ample evidence from within the Bible, outside the Bible, archaeological evidence. And it's through the course of time over these 12 years, I began to understand the connection between Christianity and Judaism through Abraham. In other words, it's a it's a one big meta narrative that yeah. is tied together. And I, I started to feel like, well, we, we don't fit here. I mean, it seemed like we're a little bit from the outside grafted in, meaning Islam and the claim to Ishmael versus the Bible is rich with the history of Abraham and everything that came through those covenants. Knowing that history, knowing the combativeness of Islam and Judaism and by extension, of course, Christianity. How do you view what's happening in Israel today in this war with Hamas? Well, uh, you know, absolutely. It's a very complex issue. And I want to be very sensitive here uh, when I say this, sensitive to the Palestinian people, to the Arabs and Muslims in general, and sensitive also to the Jewish people. Uh, you know, people think uh, in general, that this has to do with the 1947, basically, uh, UN resolution that gave Israel a state and uh, the the partition, basically, plan. Mm -hmm. And then in 1948, the establishment of the state of Israel. I wish it is that simple. It goes back, at least uh, now that I know everything about the teachings of Islam and the Bible, it goes all the way back to the days of the prophet, obviously, and the uh, how I was taught that the Jews turned their back on him. But from a biblical standpoint, this goes all the way back to the days of Abraham, almost 4,000 years ago, when God himself chose Abraham, took him to this land that we call the Holy Land, and promised it to him and his descendants. I mean, it's very clear in the Bible. And sadly, Lauren, the Quran actually affirms this. At least two locations come to mind, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, and chapter uh, 17 verse 104 both affirms that God gave Israel the land and in chapter 17 verse 104 it sounds like it is going to be theirs for uh, until the end times so you you start to feel confused it's like if the Quran affirms what the Bible is saying then what is the issue here that is resulting from this fight over a land. Now, my heart aches, of course, for the Palestinian people uh, who were displaced back in 1948. No one wants to see people just uh, being forced out of their homes. But the idea is that the Jews don't have a claim to the land in principle does not really exist and it cannot be supported from biblical view and Islamic view. This is something that a lot of people I know for me is earth shattering. They just assume that the Quran actually supports the Hamas view that the land belongs to them. Right. I mean, this is so you're basically saying is that the Quran supports the, the, the view, the, the biblical view that the land belongs to the Jews. That is correct. Exactly. And, uh, and where Hamas comes in, whether Hamas, Al Qaeda, 
whether uh, you call them also ISIS or anyone else, their, their ideology uh, is focused on this principle. This land used to be under our control, therefore, we are obliged to go back and reclaim it. This is an Islamic, by the way, teaching when it comes to the caliphate. If, in fact, if you re uh, recall, Lauren, when ISIS published their map, the, the dark black map, you know, it included Saudi, it included Egypt, it included North Africa, and you ask yourself, why are they including Saudi? Saudi is a, an Islamic country. They imp, uh, implement Sharia law. But in the minds of these groups that those Islamic countries are not really fulfilling the mandates of the Quran and the Prophet, they're not under the caliphate. Therefore, they are twisting the views of Islam and, uh, and ISIS or Hamas have the obligation to go and reclaim these lands and even goes all the way to Spain because when they were kicked out of Spain, they're, uh, now they want to go back and reclaim the land that used to uh, belong to them, the Andalusia, basically, era. So, so that's where the concept of we want this land back because it was ours, under our control, regardless of the fact that Jews lived there or it was promised to them, somehow it belongs to us now, it's ours. And how did that transition come? How did that become part of the Hamas or terrorist mindset that that land belongs to them, even though it's in the Quran differently? Yeah, I mean, well, they will come up probably with so many explanations to you about what I just shared for you, uh, with you from the Quran. They will tell you, well, the Jews turned their back on God. Therefore, God handed over that land to us. <laughs> in fact, they will say the same thing about the gospel. They say, well, Christianity failed, technically speaking, so God brought Islam to replace it. So there's always this replacement theology, if you wish, when it comes to how Hamas justifies that. But it's between 1948 and today, this uh, you know conflict, this uh, political agenda has evolved into something massive that is a moneymaker for many people who are promoting it. I mean, you look at, I mean, it was Fox News that I looked at a couple of days ago where it highlighted the wealth of the three leaders of Hamas who are living in Qatar. I mean, it's a moneymaker operation. Wow. I remember going to school in Saudi every year they will have a campaign to raise money for the Palestinian people. And people will give generously. And that's just in one school in Saudi. Imagine how many schools, how many cities, and how many countries in the Middle East did that. It is no wonder that when Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO, died, he was a wealthy man. Where did this money come from? You see, what's happening now in the Middle East is that many of these countries are realizing, you know what? All of these investments are going to private pockets. They're not really going to help the Palestinian people. Um uh, well, let, let me take a break right now, and we'll be right back here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast with Al Fati, who's the professor at um, Arizona Christian University. We'll be right back. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And I'm back with Al Fadi, Professor Al Fadi, who is a professor at Arizona Christian University. And um, you have an interesting background. Of course, you were born in Saudi Arabia. You were a devout Muslim and you came to this country and was, you, know, you were converted to Christianity. But now you're teaching at um, ACU and a lot of your students must be seeing the protests on other college campuses, the pro-Palestinian uh, protests. Um, what are what are their reactions to this? 
You know, I mean, obviously, my students, I asked them the question, do you understand what's going on? Do you know what happened in October 7th? Do you know why we're having demonstrations? And of course, they their knowledge really about this whole thing is very limited because uh, they're ignorant about things, but they focus on things like this. And, and there uh, is the rub, by the way, from my view. If we do not know history, and if we not, uh, do not learn about history, sometimes we may miss the mark. So that prompted me immediately to ask and say, folks, okay, do you want me to take a one-week break from our teachings, which is about the Quran and the Bible anyway, and just focus on this conflict? And they were excited about that. And what I did is I began to take them through biblical history and then political history of the whole existence of the Jews and the whole existence of the conflict. In other words, I wanted to put everything for them in context with also the emphasis that they should not take one side over the other. They need to be, really be very careful. They need to look at the Palestinian people and the Jewish people as those who are made in the image of God that we that we both need Christ, you know, and we both need peace that comes through the Bible, not through military operations or through political uh, accords or political agreements. I just wanted to emphasize that to them, technically speaking. And I am really excited to say that it, it shed a lot of lights uh, for them. Now, obviously, I cannot speak to what goes on in their heart, but the impression I got that it's starting to make more sense to them. Now, I also emphasize to them that Hamas as a group and the way they behave, we need to be careful, they do not represent the masses of Muslim people. Now, the teachings that Hamas follows, true, is Islamic teaching found in the primary sources of Islam. But the behavior of Muslims in general does not really match up with what Hamas is doing. And I made the case in point for them that Hamas is preventing many of the Gazans to leave. They want to use them as a human shield. This is not how uh, people are to behave towards, uh, you know, other humans. What are what are what is the biggest question students have about this conflict? Okay, I mean the biggest question is. Uh, aside from the why, is how can it be resolved? I mean, uh, it's just very simple, you know, question, because you want to know, okay, what's the solution? And it was when I showed him that hadith, that the end time will not come until Islam or Muslims fight the Jews, that it was a shocker to them. They realize immediately this is going to be an ongoing conflict. There is no end in sight here. It could be interruptions every now and then, but not necessarily a permanent solution. So when Hamas on October 7th in, in, invaded and, and attacked Israel, their end game really was from a biblical point of view you know, to attack the Jews and wipe out the Jews. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I mean, of course, in their mind, they want to always uh, have that end in mind. Now, they've tried it many times, of course, not uh, that not necessarily this is the first time. ISIS, of course, uh, had this goal in mind if they would have succeeded at least in establishing uh, their caliphate in a, in a solid way. Iran, on the other hand, that's the mothership, who have that end goal in sight as well for their own theological and political reasons. And they found really Hamas to be a, a, an excellent uh, proxy for them in the southern part of Israel, 
just as Hezbollah is an excellent proxy for them in the northern part. So they felt like the time is right for them to squeeze Israel. And they, I think, we can tell from the social media uh, these days that they have the propaganda, uh, you know, campaign uh, in a very successful way, basically, uh, using social media and manipulating facts and rallying many of the young generation to support them looking at Hamas as the victim rather than the aggressor. Let's get to Iran. I mean, what's Iran's goal in this? Are they, Obviously, they want to wipe out Israel. Is that right? Is that the whole... That is absolutely one of their goals, no doubt about it. But what? Iran, we have... Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you, you complete you know, the, the thought about Iran because we want to get to, um, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, what's Iran's end goal in this? Yeah, I mean, really, you have to go back to 1979 and the Iranian Revolution and Ayatollah uh, Ayatollah Khomeini's rise to power. But really, the conflict itself goes back to at least the seventh century, when the uh, that's the traditional story. When the Prophet of Islam died, he did not appoint someone to succeed him. A successor is what we call a caliph. So there was a strife between his family members, the House of Muhammad, let's call it, and the companions. And the companions, obviously, the followers were out outnumbered, the uh, you know members of his household, and they took over the caliphate. And that's where the rift between what we call Shia, that's the house of Muhammad, and Sunni, that's the companions. It was ever since that we have this rift between the two theological views. So when Iran came, or the Ayatollah Khomeini came into power in 1979, the Iranian Revolution, you can see how I, the, uh, Iran, from a political standpoint, was morphed from a secular nation to a very strict religious nation. And since then, Iran had a goal in mind. They want to be a dominant power in the Middle East, and that means they have to antagonize Saudi, who represents the Shia, uh, the Sunnis, I should say, and also take control of a number of countries in there. So they influenced Iraq, and the majority of the Shia in Iraq, of course, are loyal to them. Uh, there is about 15% of the population in Saudi, in the eastern region of Saudi, by the oil fields, who are loyal to Iran, so they present risk to the stability of Saudi itself. And then you have also the uh, Assad regime, who is also a, a form of Shia uh, a branch that is ruling Syria. So already you have Iraq falling for them, Syria falling from them, and then they began to feed Hezbollah to become a formidable power inside Lebanon. And that's where Iran felt that the time is right. Obviously, there is other things I can tell you. Us. The, the diplomacy of appeasement, sadly, does not work well with mentalities like the Iranian people. We think we're being civilized when we use appeasement towards them and treat them as human beings. They think it's a sign of weakness. So that kind of empowered them to uh, lifting off the embargo, working uh, reworking the nuclear deal, sending cash to them, releasing more cash to them, enabled them really to become now, in their own perception, a regional power technically speaking, and that's why they're being emboldened more and more to launch attacks, not just against uh, uh, Israel, but against Saudi in the past. You remember the drone attacks? Mm -hmm. Now they, the Houthi uh, in Yemen, south of Saudi, are sending drones to Israel. My goodness, I mean, we're talking a long distance. So you can see that Iran is trying to earn their place as a regional power that will demand respect 
And of course, their allies, sadly, are also antagonistic against the U.S. anyway. You have the North Korea, you have Russia and China uh, behind the scenes as well. Is this the problem because the Biden administration is projecting weakness? I mean, would you have have had the same problem with uh, like a Donald Trump? I mean, would they have done the same thing if Donald Trump were in office? Yeah, I mean, with Donald Trump, of course, it was the unpredictability factor that kept him at bay. I mean, because you don't know what reaction you may get from him. Uh, But also, uh, Donald Trump had the opportunity one time to also bomb uh, a platform. And he made the calculations that if people are going to die over an attack of a drone, I do not want that to happen. And it was announced and leaked. So so Iran gets the sense immediately that, okay, well, I see how the U.S. presidents think. But of course, unfortunately, the Biden administration is making it way public that we want to work with them. We want to try to find ways to uh, um, reach a resolution. They keep attacking, of course, our bases. Our responses is not against Iran. Our responses, militarily speaking, are against the proxies. Do you think Iran cares about these proxies? Uh, They can care less about that. But the minute you hit them, that's when the message will become very clear that we are not going to tolerate this. But you have to calculate it. If you hit him, it's not a one-time thing because you don't know the reaction you're going to get. So I can see that the Biden administration is really against the corner and you're going to have to really manage you know, how to do this. But they put themselves in that corner. And I would say it was previous uh, uh, administrations as well that cumulatively got them into this corner. I, You know, there are a lot of people that ask about this question about Islam. Because we see the Hamas terrorists, we see Hezbollah, um, and they ask, is Islam a peaceful religion? What do you say? Well, uh, it's it's the million-dollar question. Of course, I grew up believing in the same thing, and they would claim, uh, those who promote this, that the word Islam in Arabic is rooted in the same word as peace, which is salam. That is true. But the word Islam doesn't mean salam. It means submission. And peace really, uh, from a theological standpoint under the Islamic doctrines, will not be established unless the earth belongs to Allah. the the God of Islam. Only then, when his law is implemented, that people under his submission, that peace will come in. I mean, I am glad that Muslim people think this way, but sadly, they should look around in the Middle East alone. We have a conflict between Iran and Saudi. We have a conflict in Iran that is caused by Islam. We have a conflict in Syria and ISIS caused by Islam. You have Al-Qaeda, that's Islam. You have conflict in Afghanistan. That's Islam. You have a conflict in Yemen. That's Islam. You have a conflict now between Hamas and Israel and a war that is taking place and Hezbollah. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. You have in Africa, a lot of groups like Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab. So I think a reasonable Muslim person, and there's a lot of them, needs to really take a seat, a, a, a seat and sit down and relax, basically, and think about what's going on. Why is it that only Islamic groups causing all of this chaos. If indeed Islam, as I think of it, meaning the Muslim thinking this way is a religion of peace, no doubt peace will be implemented according to what I just told you, the theology of submitting the world under the leadership and the headship of the God of Islam. But we are ways from that. You know, that's not even close to being accomplished. Now that you are a Christian, how do you explain the difference in in terms of how you live out the difference between being a Muslim and a Christian? 
Well, of course, uh, as a Muslim, you have, you know, the two varieties. You have the fundamentalist Muslims. That's what I was following things by the book. And you have the rest of the what we call cultural uh, nominal Muslims who really, you know, peaceful Muslims that's just they want just to live the, their daily life, provide for their family, you know, just, you know, work and, and just uh, live a decent life. But the, sadly, the fundamentalists, like the ones that I used to be, uh, are the minority who are antagonistic against everybody, including those peaceful Muslims. So today, as a believer in Christ, I am empowered by Christ himself. You see, the Quran did not empower me to live a peaceful life. Actually, the Quran encouraged me to be antagonistic against anything that is against the agenda of Allah. But uh, Christ told me to love one another, to love my neighbors as myself, to love even my enemies. In fact, that was the verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 that brought me to my knees. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecuted you. I looked at myself, I said, if the God of Islam is as I was told, is the God of the Bible, then something fundamentally went wrong here. Why would he change his mandates from loving everybody, including enemies, to now being antagonistic and attacking those that stand against his agenda? So that's the way I would promote it, preach it, and live it. To live peacefully, find ways to really coexist with with Muslims. Uh, you know, I would share the gospel, of course. That's my goal. But even if people reject the gospel, we need to find a way to live together peacefully, not fighting one another, not uh, you know destroying each other. Because God values life, and we too are to value life. Can Islam live alongside? other religions peacefully? Is that part of the mandate? Can it do that? Or are the, are the terrorists actually more, more Muslim than anybody else? That is true. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head here. Unless you can eradicate those terrorists, those fundamentalists, and you literally eliminate some of those antagonistic teachings in the uh, traditional uh, sources of Islam, including the Quran and the Hadith, unless you would do that, meaning the Islamic countries and the Islamic uh, universities, then uh, sadly, you're always going to have this pocket of people who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring their issues to the forefront. Remember, these people love, to de love death. How can I, I keep asking people, how can you fight against someone who wants to die? Uh, what's your strategy? They want to die. They want you to come and fight them and kill them because in their mind, they're going to paradise anyway. And in their death, somehow they believe that their cause will be brought up to the world stage. And sadly, I have to say, Hamas has been successful since October 7 to bring their perceived cause, and I call it perceived, their perceived cause to the forefront using social media now. And they're very effective at using that. ISIS was very effective as using that. And it seemed like we are way behind the ages when it comes to how com uh, we can combat these propagandas. And what do you say? What would you say to the students you see at the pro-Palestinian uh, rallies and protests on college campuses all over the all over the country? Well, I would say this. Uh, you mean to the ones who are uh, yeah, protesting? the ones you know, the ones outside of Arizona Christian University. Yes. Yeah, I would say, sadly, the majority of them, I can tell, they are ignorant of history. 
and ignorant of biblical history. I mean, we're not talking about them reading the Bible to accept Christ. Okay, fine. But read the Bible to understand the history of the Jewish people. And also, you need to look at history of the Jewish people in particular. And also, I appreciate the fact that you are aching and agonizing for the Palestinian people. In fact, I agonize for them and I say, how come the Islamic nations are not taken uh, on many of them? How come they're not uh, housing them? How, how come they're not stepping up right now to try to find a land for them? Everybody just talks publicly, but there is no action. So we need to understand the history in general. But at the same time, we need to ask ourselves, okay, let's say you uh, give or establish a Palestinian state right now. You're already telling me that you want uh, you want this to be from the river to the sea. So what's going to happen to Jewish people? What about what the Holocaust? What about what uh, Hitler did to them? What about the many, uh, you know, basically massacres that they went through? I mean, we need to be sympathetic, at least, and understand what's going on, not uh, to appease this side or that side. I mean, many of these demonstrators, they go to elite universities. You would expect them to learn how to reason, how to investigate facts, how to try to be rational. But sadly, what I'm seeing is absolutely devastating that if these future leaders think this way, and they're one-sided, then, oh boy, I can say that Israel is in real trouble in the future. Wow. Al-Fadi, thank you so much. You're uh, Professor Al-Fadi from, um, from Arizona Christian University. You have a book out. I know you have a book. How can people get a hold of that book? Yeah, I, I kind of contributed and uh, was one of the uh, co-authors of a book called The Quran Dilemma. I, that was part one. I believe there is part two and part three. So people are more than welcome to go and uh, find it on Amazon. I also was the editor for the electronic version of that book that was abridged. Uh, once you Google The Quran Dilemma on Amazon, it will pop up. Uh, the, the electronic one has a different title, but you'll see my name, Al-Fadi, in there. I encourage you to go and read it because it does give you background about some of the teachings of Islam towards Christian Jews and other uh, groups as well. All right. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's really wonderful to talk with you and, and, and reconnect with you after more than a decade. Thank you so much, Al-Fati. Absolutely. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.